our Father and our God. What a joy that it is to be in your presence again. David sang in the Psalms that in your presence are pleasures forevermore. And Lord, we pray that because you have given us so much already, that you will give us one more thing, and that is a grateful heart. We pray, Father, that this morning as we explore your word one more time, that your spirit would abide upon us, Lord, and that that sweet, sweet spirit would revive us again. And when we leave this place, that we would have that peace that belongs unto the saints and those who place their entire trust in Jesus. Lord, in the subdued spirit of our hearts at this moment, pray that you would speak to us as every other voice is hushed. And we trust, Father, that you would use this man who is nothing. And Father, that you would speak through me and that you would speak to me. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience as we offer this prayer from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Very grateful to hear what Jonathan shared. I know he's been uh, supporting this movement, been a very strong pillar in Canada for a long time. So I continue to pray for him and his family. I know it's not an easy burden to carry. Um, and so, yeah, it's a blessing. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, he casts out a demon from a man. And so the Bible says in verse 14, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he, comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. When I was a kid, I remember this commercial that my brother and sister and I used to laugh about all the time. It was this commercial about car protection. And so... Basically, it was a commercial of this car in this uh, parking structure. It's kind of dark and shadowy, and you see this figure right, with a mask on, all black, running to check this car, and he finds this nice, beautiful Mercedes or BMW, whatever it was. And as he goes up to the car, he's, he's scaling the car, and as he starts um, almost about to touch the car, the car starts talking. And it says, protected by Viper, stand back. Right? So the guy jumps back from the car, he, he takes off and runs, and then they end the commercial, they say, What's protecting your car? 
right? Now, we used to make fun of the fact that the car talks, protected by Viper, right? So we used to joke with each other um, when we try to fight, and my sister would say, protected by Viper, step back. <laughs> when we started getting aggressive as siblings. But suffice it to say that even in our day, right, we have these things now in cars where they get you the little key thing, right? And when you lock your car, you hit it twice, it makes a little beeping sound. And it's funny that we do those things because, not because you actually have a car alarm on your car. It just makes it seem like you have a car alarm on your car because it just beeps. But there's actually no car alarm. And a lot of people, you know, they, they get out their car and they want to make sure, right? They're walking. Oh, wait, did I click that thing twice? So they're about to enter the group. Bleep, bleep. Okay. And now it's like everybody knows, don't mess with my car because you heard these two beeps, even though we all know that you actually don't have a car alarm. And these are the measures that people will take to protect their vehicles. You think about ADT and other companies that are selling to us security, reminding us that, hey, don't you know there's X amount of sex offenders in your community? Don't you know that X amount of people are released from prison every year just because they're overflowing? How are you going to protect your family? So they're selling you on this piece of this need of security. Yes, you have what you have, but how do you keep this thing secure? So this is why ADT is the best. As soon as the alarm goes off, it will automatically phone the police. And you'll get an update on your phone, and we have an app now. So even if you're out on a date night and your kids are home with the babysitter, you get an alarm, boom, it's right there on your cell phone, and you can actually look at the camera of what's going on around your house. They actually just caught a football player, American football player, who one of his good friends was breaking into his house and stealing and he was out at a party, he got the alarm thing on his phone, and he's looking at the video, and it's a picture of his friend who was just with him at the party. And so he go, he's watching him go through his stuff, watching him go through, leave the place, obviously calls the police, they catch the guy, he's arrested. And these are the measures that people will take to protect their house, and they sell us on these things. So not just the car, not just the house. But now there was a time when it was considered to be a little bit much that your kid would have a cell phone. I don't know if I'm dating myself right now, but that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> because when I was growing up, I remember when kids first started getting pagers in middle school. So you go to school and your mom would be paging. If you don't call back, if you don't respond, it's like, oh, no, where are you? Okay, why didn't you respond? I paged you. So you get this like 12-year-old kid walking with this thing on their hip buzzing all the time, your mom's calling you, and you better respond. And back then we had pay phones. I guess they don't really have those as much anymore. And this was a way for parents to say at the time where kidnapping was really big, as if it just started like in the 1980s. It didn't just start in the 1980s. But for some reason they were selling again on the technology, you need a pager, then a cell phone. Well, you need a cell phone. Your kids should be able, you should call right away. Where are you? What are you doing? Stay on the phone with me until you get home. And I remember thinking as a kid, I'm like, man, that's a little much. You're like 12 years old, 10 years old with a cell phone? I mean, now kids have way more than cell phones. And we use these measures to protect our children. But see, the question of this passage is not so much about how do you protect your car, how do you protect your home, how do you protect your children. This question, the question of this passage is how do you protect your soul? What can you do to keep the devil out and stay out? Because a lot of times our circumstances are really illustrated by this particular parable of what Jesus is trying to get across. And so when we talk about righteousness by faith and we've surrendered our lives and some of us have come to this altar, we've brought all to Jesus. We ask him, Lord, take me out of this mess. We've come to Christ and said, give me a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We've asked him to give us a hatred for sin. And yes, this is cast Satan out of your life and my life. But the question is, how do you secure to make sure he doesn't get back in? And so immediately, right, this is what we call the concept that as soon as a person is justified, automatically sanctification begins. You see, Ellen White describes in Desire of Ages that when the soul casts itself upon Jesus... He gives it a new heart and a new spirit. And she says, the new spirit takes possession of the new heart. And Jesus looks at your heart and she says, he establishes in the soul as his own citadel, his own castle, his own palace. And then she says, and he will know no other power in it save his own. We should have said amen to that. Amen. 
That's what happened when you came to this altar yesterday. You became an annexation to the kingdom of Christ. You became the next province of the kingdom of heaven. And Christ says, this is now under my protection, under the armies of heaven, under my leadership. I will know no other power in this soul save my own. New heart, new spirit, and then Ezekiel adds, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. You're not going to cause yourself. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. But the question is, after Jesus did that last night, how then do we go forward from there? I want you to notice the parable that Jesus gives. Beginning in verse 21, he's talking about casting out demons. He says in verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are what? In peace. So first of all, I want you to notice that the man has a palace, right? It doesn't say he has a house. It doesn't say he has a location. It doesn't say he just has a nice little villa out there on the beach. We're talking about a palace. And what is a palace? A palace is what? A place where who dwells? Kings. So this is a royal space, right? This is something valuable. This is the, the center of the government of whatever is around this thing, right? I, you know, I remember when I, was, when I went to preach in Paris uh, to do an evangelistic meeting, and my wife came about a week late. And after my wife came, right, my wife has been to France like multiple times. And so she's like, oh, Papa, you got to go to this and this. She's telling me all these places I need to go to. I'm like, babe, I'm not a tourist. I'm not into this. And Paris was like super dirty to me. I'm like, I don't even like this. Everyone smokes everywhere. I'm just going to stay in the hotel. I'm not interested. <laughs> but my wife is like, okay, fine. I understand you don't like this. You don't like this. But the one place you have to go to is the Palace of Versailles. And I'm like, why? She says, listen, once you see it, you will realize you will be un... She's like, you'll be shocked to think of how much love, just gardens have gardens, and the gardens go back like hundreds of acres, one garden, inside the palace. And the decorations and all of this, you know, for King Louis XIV, and you're like, oh man, that's, I'm like, yeah, that's true, I guess I would like to see the palace of Versailles. So, listen, if you're talking about a palace, and he says, when a strong man fully armed, right, guards his palace, his goods are in peace. So he recognizes he has something valuable. Are you with me? He realizes, like, look, this is a palace, and I realize some people are going to try and test me. So first of all, notice this is not a weak man. Are you with me? Right? This is not some, oh, yeah, low level. I mean, this guy is a joke. Thinking, You know, I remember going to places when I was in the world, and you see these guys walk out, these security guards, and this dude's like half my size. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what are you protecting? Like, this dude's like four foot something. You're like, what are you, like 130 pounds? Like, and so we would joke with ourselves, you know, we're out there and in gangs and in the streets like this guy. And literally the cops would not come if someone called in my neighborhood. It was automatically assumed. You call the police, it'll take at least two hours. Because the police would say, we're going to wait for the gang activity to die down. And then we will uh, make our way out there and say, okay, what's going on here? Uh, who saw something? It's like, we called you two hours ago. But because police officers are aware that I'm not going in there, me and my partner, and there's like 60 gang members completely loaded with AK-47s and all kinds of other weapons. And I'm going to pop my, hey, please, freeze. What? <laughs> They're going to start lighting this dude up with all kinds of bullets. It's like, listen, that cop has a family too. She's not going to rush into that neighborhood, but you get a call in Beverly Hills, he'll be there in five minutes. Because Beverly Hills. So when you, when you recognize that, listen, I have something valuable, you take precautions to do this. And so here's this man. He's a strong man. He's not some weak man. And the Bible says not only is he a strong man, the Bible says that he's fully armed. He's ready for combat. He's got whatever he has around this palace. So I want you to envision in your own soul, right, that here you come to a circumstance where here you are protecting your palace, your goods, and all these different things. And you got your little weapons set up, and we have our little devices, right? Like I remember when um, Daniel and them were sharing, they said, oh, we were scratching up the CDs, we were doing this stuff. You're just fully armed. But you know what happens? The Bible says that he guards his own palace, and notice, it's the person who owns the palace who's guarding it. So basically, he's like, look, to take this thing, you have to take me down. And he's a strong man. 
And the Bible says his goods are in peace. But then you know what happens? Verse 22, the word but is what we call in English the humbling conjunction. You say, oh, you know, I, you're talking to some girl and you're like, hey, I was thinking, you know, we could get to know each other better. She's like, you know, a really nice guy. Sebastian, I really appreciate your sermons and everything. But once that comes, it doesn't matter what she said before, right? It's what comes after. But I think we should just remain friends. Okay? The humbling conjunction. So the Bible says, but when I, what? Stronger than who? Than he. What does he do? He comes upon him. So here he is, a strong man, right? Guarding his palace, his goods are in peace, and all of a sudden, who shows up? Stronger than he. Are you with me? And as a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he what? Trusted. He comes and he's thinking, your little weapons, your little tactics, your little this and that, this ain't doing anything against me. I want you to, to listen to a statement from Sister White. This is what she says. She says, there are conscientious souls that trust partly to God and partly to themselves. They do not look to God to be kept by his power, but depend upon watchfulness against temptation and the performance of certain duties for acceptance with him. There are no victories in this kind of faith. There are how many victories? There are no victories. She says, such persons toil to no purpose. They toil to no purpose. Let's finish it. She says, their souls are in continued bondage, and they find no rest until their burdens are laid at the feet of Jesus. Now, I'm going to save the second statement for later, but there's one more statement I want to bring up. In Desire of Ages and in Patriarchs and Prophets, she says this statement twice in her writings about Cain and Abel. And then she says it later on in commenting on this um, in Desire of Ages. She says, Wherever the principle is held that man can save himself by his own works, there is no barrier to sin. I'm going to say that again. Wherever the principle is held that man can save himself by his own works, there is no barrier to sin. You are a strong man guarding your palace. Here you are thinking, yeah, I'm going to trust in this and I got my accountability groups and I got my, you know, covenant eyes and I got this and I got that and I, I got all my little things put up there. But here's the reality. He says, look, if you think you're going to save yourself, you think you're going to deliver yourself by your own works, there will be no barrier to sin. Let's reverse the concept there. So people who believe that they can save themselves by their own works will go to any length in sin. Are you tracking what I'm saying? So we think to ourselves that this whole thing of righteousness by works is not so bad because you won't be saved. It's bad because of how evil you can become. So evil that you would crucify the Lord. Because those are the people that killed him. This was the righteousness by works response. In fact, righteousness by works is evidenced by the very fact of the very rebellion of Lucifer. Why do we need the law? Why do we need God? We are all holy within ourselves. We don't need God to direct us. We can direct ourselves. We are holy beings. This is why Lucifer fights against the law. And right then and there, he thinks he's going to be righteous in himself. You think you are intrinsically holy? And I cannot tell you, right, the time would fail me to talk of all the fanatical movements that Ellen White met in her day. Holy flesh this, people believing they're already sanctified, Therefore, we can be nude and have sex, all kinds of crazy stuff. These are all the movements she's meeting in her writings, in her ministry, of the fanaticism of what these people can go to say, oh, yeah, because we're already sanctified, therefore, no, 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 no. Remember, laying into the dust the glory of men. And man, do, God doing for you what it is not in your power to do for yourself. So in this passage, the Bible is talking about here you are as a strong man. Guarding your palace, your goods are in peace. But guess what? When a stronger than he comes upon you, guess what happens? Overcomes you. And you know, the first thing he takes away is the armor in which you trusted. 
So you know how many times many of us, we prevent ourselves from sin by the community of people around us? Let me roll with these people. Let me, because let me, let me tell you, it is not a shock that when people stop serving in ECYC leadership or volunteering or in a local church, all of a sudden they fall into foolishness. That's not a shock because a lot of us, we're depending on the group to keep us holy. We're just going with the group, think everyone's doing it, so therefore we're going on, and it's strong. Listen, peer pressure is serious on both sides. But ain't nobody saved by peer pressure. There is no righteousness by peer pressure. So if I just stay rolling, if I stay rolling, that's why God breaks up communities all the time. That's why he separated Joseph from his father. Go on down to Egypt. And you know, when Joseph first got to Egypt, Ellen White writes, I didn't even know this until I was going through a difficult time in my life a few years ago, and I was studying the life of Joseph. And she writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, she says, for a time, Joseph gave himself up to uncontrollable grief. You don't get that in the Bible. You look at Joseph, you're like, man, I wish I could be like this brother. (laughs) Joseph is going through this, but the Lord was with Joseph. I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to get to this place right now. But as I'm going through a similar experience as Joseph, betrayal of friends, pain, and all these different things, I'm thinking, how did this brother do it? Then I'm reading Patriarchs and Prophets says, well, for a time, he gave himself up to uncontrollable grief. Separated from my father, my own brother sold me as a slave. Dragged down miles and miles to Egypt, sold as somebody's property. For a while, this man is weeping, he's crying, he's frustrated, he's just in grief. But eventually, somehow he got back up. And we get the experience that we get, but here's the point. That it's like, here is this man who was human, but soon as you trust in this thing, here the devil comes, I'm going to take away the armor in which you trusted. Some of us are trusting, you know, an audio verse. It gets me frustrated. Young people are like, yeah, man, I'm on audio verse, da-da-da. I'm like, listen, I don't even listen to audio verse. And it's not against, I'm not against audioverse. They're my good friends. And God is using their ministry. No question on that. But there becomes a line when people are on audioverse every single sermon that is posted. They just get the podcast, download it, just sermon after sermon after sermon. I'm like, when do you study the Bible? When do you grapple with the truth? It's nice to be spoon fed for a while. But after a while, you say, look, man, I need my own experience with the word of God. And guess what? Our doctrines, our teachings, these sermons that you listen to on Audioverse, that stuff wasn't studied in a night, in one hour. People don't get up and start preaching. Well, at least real preachers. You were in the Bible for a while. You were studying, you were reading, you were living. You're trying to apply this to your life. As you apply it, you realize this is the real struggle. So then when I start preaching on a subject, I'm like, I know what it's like to feel like God doesn't accept you. And then to go back to the Bible and Ellen White says, listen, you don't need to focus on what's failing around you. You don't need to focus on what's going on in your life. She says, listen, when you are discouraged, when you think you can't go on, she says, take your Bible, fall upon your knees. She says, here, Lord, your word is pledged. She says, throw all your weight upon his promises. All your weight upon his promises. And every one of them will be fulfilled. been at that place but in this sense God will take away the goods or the devil when he comes he will take away the goods in which you trusted when the stronger than he comes so now this palace that you had this beautiful edifice devil comes in starts making a mess of your life comes in all of a sudden you start thinking things you weren't thinking saying things you weren't thinking before breaking off relationships, having conflict, internal, external conflict. No rest, no peace. And as a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him and he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and he divides the spoils. Yep, we're going to use this for the kingdom of darkness. We're going to use this for the kingdom of darkness. We're going to use that for the kingdom. This is yours. This is yours. We're going to use this for lust. We're going to use this for jealousy. We're going to use this to bring problems in the church. So discord among brethren. We're going to use this to frustrate your mom and your dad so that their burdens are multiplied. Here's the devil. Just this is how we're going to run this thing. Now that I'm in control of this life, now that I'm involved. So as soon as man falls into sin, this is exactly what happened in the fall of men. 
So soon as the stronger than he comes, the very fact of the matter that he's stronger than him, it's not only that he couldn't even resist him, but that while, now that he is oppressed, he can't even free himself. Are you with me? The power is not in himself to liberate himself. Are you tracking with me? But the reality was, his mistake was in recognizing the wrong security system. He thought this thing would keep his house secure. He thought this thing would keep his car safe. He thought this having a cell phone would keep his kids safe. But the reality is he was trusting in the wrong security system. So I have to ask you this, this morning, what security system are you trusting in? Because see, this is the practical aspect of righteousness by faith. It's nice to say, yeah, I believe in Christ's righteousness, so then what are you trusting in to secure your soul? When you leave this place, what do you think is going to keep you faithful? What do you think is going to keep the devil out of your life and my life? So as he, as he takes away these things, the beautiful thing about it is, is that not only, right, is the devil comes, now the story starts over. So the devil came in my life, took away the armor in which I trusted, and now he is the strong man. And when a strong man guards his palace, his goods are in peace. But, praise the Lord, there's a stronger than he. <laughs> so then now the devil's racking havoc in your life and you're thinking, I can't take this. It's like Egyptian bondage. Who in the world is going to defeat Pharaoh in my life? Who in the world? And every time a preacher comes, every time a Bible study happens, every time someone says, let me pray for you, that's Moses coming to Pharaoh's court saying, let my people go. But you see, oh, no, I'm stubborn. No, no, look, who is your God that I should obey him? But you see, at this point in time, right, as soon as your life and my life are becoming under the captivity of Satan, we're under the bondage of sin. There's a strong man guarding the palace. Sin ain't just going to let you go. I was canvassing, um, doing big books, right? I was selling the, the huge sets, the 10 book sets, the Bible stories, all these different things. And so I remember coming to the street, and this woman had like a milkman truck outside of her place. And I'm like, I didn't even know people still had milkmen, like delivering actual milk to their house. I couldn't believe it. So as I walked up, I'm praying. I'm like, all right, Lord, give me the words, you know. So I walk up. I start talking to this woman. And I'm like, ma'am, you know, here, I'm offering these books. And usually what I do when I'm doing big books, because they're really expensive, um, I start kind of testing people to see, you know, shock them with the finances, you know, see what they say. If I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, they're probably not going to pay $400 for books. So then as I'm showing her, yeah, I'm with the Blue Bible Story Company, yada, yada, yada. And she's like, okay, well, how much are these books? And I'm like, well, ma'am, you know, depending on what you're looking for, you know, $400 to $700. She's like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to do that today. I said, that's okay. We have samples. So I pull out the MAGA books. So I'm like, well, we have the great controversy. This one's like $20. No problem. Right? That's actually a sales tactic, but that's for training. We'll leave Jonathan to that. So as I go and I'm like, well, these are just samples, $20, right? $20 sounds like extremely cheap compared to $400. <laughs> so she looks at the book and she's like, no, no, I, I'm pretty sure I'm good. And I'm like, well, ma'am, what church do you go to? She said, I don't go to church. I'm like, what do you mean you don't go to church? She says, I haven't been to church in 20-something years. And I said, well, ma'am, you're definitely going to love this book, Great Controversy. This was the book that led me to Christ and led my, my faith to come to God and to realize a lot of the hypocrisy in the church. And she says, oh, no, I already understand those things. I'm like, no, no, ma'am, you don't understand, right? You know, uh, for example, you know, we're talking about American prophecy. She's like, I know, Revelation 13. I'm like, what? You said what? She was like, <laughs> Revelation 13, it's clearly in the Bible. I'm like, well, ma'am, this thing will actually also talk to you about Babylon and these. She's like, I know, right? It's the, the merging of church and state. I'm like, are you a seven-day Adventist? She's like, what is a seven-day Adventist? I'm kind of thinking, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, but... So and she comes back and she's like, yeah, yeah, I've studied these things in my Bible. I haven't gone to church in 20, 25 years. I feel like they don't preach the truth, all these different things. So I said, ma'am, listen. I said, if you're talking to me about the things that you're saying, I'm telling you, these things are in this book, and I think it's going to expand your understanding. And I said, there's so many truths tied in that that have blessed my heart. I think it will bless your heart. So she says, you know, you're a very passionate young man. I, I believe you. I believe it. She says, excuse me, let me go in the house and get some, some change. And I'm like, change? Okay. So she comes out with these jars of coins. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to count out 
you know, $15 and change. And this is not quarters, right? So I'm like, what? So we sit on our porch, and she says, Sebastian, I want to tell you a story while I count this change. So I'm like, okay, sure. It'll make the time pass by, right? And so, I mean, I'm big booking, so, I mean, it's nice to have a seat for a while. <laughs> so I sit down. She starts telling me the story. She's counting out the change. She says, you know, when I was, 19, when I was young, my mother raised me to, be, to follow Jesus. And she said, you know, when I got 18, 19, I started straying from the Lord, doing my own thing. And she says, I got involved with a group called The Way. And she says, you know, I got involved with them, and they seemed really interesting and passionate and creative. And they told me that while I was a member of their group, once I joined them and I went through the initiation or whatever, they call it baptism, but it's really an initiation. And she said, then I get two guardian angels. And so she was like, yeah, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. So she said, I was 19. I went through the initiation, and then as soon as I went through the initiation, I saw the two angels. And I'm like, you saw them? She's like, yeah, I could see them everywhere I was. So she says they were like these shadowy figures, and they would be everywhere I was. They would be there on the left, on the right, sometimes up ahead of me, all these different things. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Then she says, you know, one day I was walking in a neighborhood, and I saw my guardian angel push a lady's dog into the street. She was like, I was like, wait, that's not right. She's like, an angel wouldn't do that. And then she saw a ki- the angel was on the back of a child that was fighting another child. As if this thing was like egging this kid on. And so she was kind of like this. So she went back to her house and she was thinking, Lord, I don't, I don't think this is Christian. And she said she was so terrified because she's thinking, well, if they're not guardian angels, then what are they? That only gives you one option. So she's like, these are demons following me around everywhere. And I surrender myself to this. So she said, 19, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm afraid. And she says, you know, Sebastian, at this point in time, I went to my house and she said, I was laying on my bed at night and I was thinking, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? And she said, all of a sudden, the words of my mother came back to me. And she said, my mother told me at a young age, she said, you know, if you ever leave the Lord, she says, he'll always accept you back if you come back. He will always accept you back. So she said, I sat on my bed and I started praying. I said, she said, you know, um, oh, and her mother told her to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Take me. I'm yours. So she started praying this prayer on her bed. And she says, then the angels appeared in her room. And she said, then there was a third one. And she says, while she was praying this prayer, then they came down from the ceiling and they were like standing on her chest, pressing her into the mattress, right? She said she didn't get any sleep all night. But she said, Sebastian, there's something I want to tell you. By this time, she's got tears in her eyes. And she says, I'm telling you this story because I want you to remember as you continue to do your work, as you continue to go door to door, as you continue to serve the Lord, that Jesus is more powerful than Satan. She says, that's why I'm here telling you this right now. And as I listened to that story and I went back, that now as I look at this text, it reminds me of the fact that, listen, we oftentimes are like this woman. We get ourselves in a mess. We get ourselves stuck in sin. And yet we think, oh man, the strong man is keeping his goods. There's no way I'm going to be free from this. And the blessing is, is that Jesus is the stronger than he. It doesn't matter how bound. It doesn't matter how strong. It doesn't matter his goods in which he trusted. So when Jesus comes into your life and my life, it's like, listen, I am stronger than you. And Christ will literally tear down the strongholds of Satan, all his armor in which he trusted. These things you think you can hold this soul Will not, it's all going to fall. But you see, the blessing of the passage is that once we surrender to Christ, there is no one stronger than he. That is the blessing of the passage. So that, listen, where can I go to install the correct security system in the soul? I can go right down to Jesus. And as I go to Christ and I say, Lord, I'm yours. Take me. I'm yours. I can't even give you my heart, but take my heart because I can't even give it. And as I come, as Elohim says, you can't change your thoughts, you can't change your heart, you can't control your impulses, you can't control your affections, but you can choose to serve him. And as we choose to serve him, we've given ourselves over to him. And Jesus would know no other power in the soul save his own. And the beauty is, there is no stronger than he. So then the question is, if Christ has come into my life, And I've surrendered my soul to him. And there is no stronger than he. 
How in the world does the devil get back in? I want you to notice the next verse in verse 23. The Bible says, he who is not with me is what? Against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. That's kind of enigmatic. You just told me this parable about the strong man and the stronger than he, and now you're like, oh, he's not with me, he's against me. Okay, why are you saying that? We'll see the next part explains the answer to our question. Verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, and why does he go out of a man? Because Jesus cast him out. You invited Jesus in, and Jesus is stronger than he. Whatever in unclean spirit is in our lives, Christ is stronger than this thing, cast him out. So it says, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking what? Rest. Do you recognize that these unclean spirits are restless until they're causing your own restlessness? They want you to have no peace. They want you to be stressed out. They want you to be, oh, questioning God. They want you to be doubting. They want you to be consuming stuff you shouldn't be consuming. They want you to feel guilt. And they're looking for a place. So he says he's going through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He finds none. So you know what he says to himself? He says, I will return where? To my house. I want you to notice his language. I will return to my house. So here's this demon that says, listen, you've been dealing with jealousy for a long time. You've been dealing with anger. You've been dealing with lust. You've been dealing with idolatry. You've been dealing with ambition and pride and self-aggrandizement. Listen, that's basically my house. I've lived there for a long time. So he, as he's, he's finding no rest, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go back. This tells us, brothers and sisters, that whatever you were delivered from this weekend, whatever you were delivered from next, last week, and whatever you're going to be delivered from next week, don't think that's the last time you will see it. It will come back. So you're like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. You got me victory over this, but I'm going to come back. I will return to my house. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Verse 26, verse 25. And when he comes, he finds it what? Swept and what? Put in order. What does that tell you it was before he left? This thing was a mess. Are you with me? Soon as the devil comes in, People become all confused in their souls. You, I mean, just think about the things people believe. I remember when I was talking to my brother before he came into the church. We were talking one time. He's like, yeah, man, I was watching this history channel like Ezekiel. Like basically God is like an alien, right? He came in and like because it's like the circle, a wheel within a wheel. So it's basically like a flying saucer. And he's got these beings coming down, right? And he, he's like, oh, son of man, da, da, da. It's like, I mean, this sounds like an alien encounter, you know, Area 51. And I'm like... No, <laughs> but these are, this is what happens when the devil is in our soul. This stuff is not in order. It doesn't even make sense. People start getting confused. Not only that, he says, it's full of mess and muck in the soul. Dirty thoughts, dirty ideas, all of a sudden selfish concepts and the ugliness that comes in. But remember, this was a palace. What that tells you is he didn't come to take this palace because he just wants to keep the palace and keep it nice and beautiful. No, no, no. That's not why he's coming. He's coming in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to tear this thing down. And how does he do that? Because any house divided against itself is brought to desolation. His whole goal is to cause us to start making self-destructive decisions. When you and I get involved in sin, when you and I are getting involved in all kind of foolishness and mess, and we want to do our own thing, we're doing self-destructive behaviors. That's what it is. But you see, we don't like to look at it that way because we're getting pleasure out of it. But as they say, right, nighttime of pleasure leads to a lifetime of pain. That's all it takes. One time you're like, oh, I'm just going to indulge. You know how many people are addicted to heroin, never recovered? Because of the first time. Cocaine, meth, ecstasy, sex, pornography. You could go on and on down the line. All the addictions, all the struggles people have. You're like, man, if you just never did it that one time, you wouldn't even be in the situation. So he comes back. But you know what's interesting? In verse 26, the Bible says, then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits. More wicked than himself. I didn't even know there were degrees of wickedness. So whatever, listen, it's the truth though. 
He's like, listen, you thought you had problems with just watching pornography? I'm going to take it to the next level. When you come back in, it's going to be worse this time. You thought you were just struggling with physical boundaries. You know, we shouldn't be kissing in our relationship. When you come back, it's going to be worse this time. Now you're talking about oral sex. You thought it was so bad with your temper last time. This time we're going to come in swinging blows. You thought this was bad, your jealousy and struggle. Oh, no, we're going to take this to the whole next level. Seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So here's the point. He comes back, he finds it swept and garnished, and he goes back and notice what the Bible says. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. But here's the question. How could they enter there? Jesus came, they were cast out. Are you following me? They were looking for, and he says, I'm going to return to my house. So wait a minute. Why would you even think you could return to your house if Jesus cast you out and there's no stronger than he? Because when you roll up on that palace and Jesus is guarding his palace, guess what? His goods will always be in peace. I'll take that one amen. His goods will always be in peace. Jesus owns this thing. You can't even think. This is why it's so funny that the devil even thought he could take the throne of God. Oh, yeah, we're going to attack Christ. We're going to take this thing. You don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know who you're dealing with. That's why the other angels were reasoning. Lucifer, he's your creator. <laughs> Listen, God could blink and you will not exist. He doesn't even have to speak a word. He just has to think it. He upholds you by the word of his power. All things. It is by him all things consist. The reason why you are not spreading apart is because of Christ. And you would actually attack him? So we know that when he's coming back, why would he think he could come back and enter this place if Jesus is there and there is no stronger than he? Well, the answer is in Matthew chapter 12. So keep your finger here or put one of those string things in Luke. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 43. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. The Bible says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Looks the same. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it what? Empty, swept, and put in order. Do you notice Matthew added a word Luke did not? What was that word? Empty. So he says, I'm going to return to my house. So he's coming and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go back and go back to this place. And you know what? He comes up and he starts looking. He realizes Jesus's car is not in the driveway. He's like, wait a minute. So he starts looking in the windows. He realizes Jesus's furniture is moved out. He realizes on the mailbox, it doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ, King of heaven and earth, Lord of lords. Doesn't say that. So he's like, oh, Jesus ain't living here anymore. Oh, no problem. Let me go get seven other spirits. <laughs> so in other words, how did he know to come back? Because the demon knows that, listen, I know how Christians can be. He says, I know the situation. While I'm walking around, I can't find anything. Well, hey, let's go back to where we used to be because, you know, Christians have this tendency to invite Jesus to solve their immediate problems, but they don't ask Jesus to stay. So let's go back and check and uh, test this one one more time. Yeah, she came to ECYC. Yeah, she came to the altar. She surrendered all to Jesus and he cast us out. Yeah, she's free and the son shall make you free indeed. But guess what? As soon as Jesus got everything put in order and swept, and he put up the curtains and decorated. And as he got that soul put in order and she's thinking clearly and now she's got gifts and she's speaking and doing music for the Lord. And now she's got influence. She's a leader. But she won't ask Jesus to stay. She sends Jesus packing on his way. So when he comes back, he's like, oh, Christ is not here. No, no, it's not that Christ is not here. Christ is not still here. So in other words, when Jesus says, he that is not with me is what? So in other words, what is Christ? Why does he bring up this verse? You know why he's bringing it up? He quotes those words to make the point that if you don't ask Jesus to stay, you say, well, the devil's not in there, right? Because he came back and found it what? Empty. 
So Christ is not abiding. The demon's not in there. This is a position of neutrality. In other words, as they have always said, the man who wrote the book Night was talking about the Holocaust. And when he received the Nobel Prize, the Pulitzer Prize, I think it was, or the Nobel Prize for that, when he gave his speech, he said, my experience has always taught us that neutrality does not help the weak, it only helps the oppressor. In other words, when we don't ask Jesus to stay, we always, this is how some of us think about it. Lord, come and solve my problems when things are really bad. Okay, now you can move on. I'll run things from here. Thanks a lot, Christ. You can pack your things. We think Jesus is like an in-law that comes to visit, helps us out with the baby, and okay, now things are good. You can go home now. But when the devil comes back, says, have you forgotten that the demon is stronger than you? So you installed the security system, you started protecting, kicking this dude out, and then you took out the security system. So the point is, there is no neutrality. In other words, you don't have to actively choose the devil to be on the side of the devil. You just have to neglect to choose Jesus. Because if you're not with me, what are you? Against me. Do you understand the, the implications of that statement? You don't have to be against Jesus to be against Jesus. You don't have to choose Satan to be ruled by Satan. The devil will take you in two ways. You willingly surrender or you just don't choose to surrender to Jesus. So the message is very simple, brothers and sisters. When that demon comes back to that soul and he finds it empty, swept, and put in order, he says, oh, this guy's trying to be neutral. He's not with Jesus. He didn't ask Jesus to stay. He's one of those crisis Christians. Call on Jesus in crisis. Thank you so much. Back to our regularly scheduled program. He's like, you're one of those Christians that what I call a commercial Christian. After these messages, we'll be right back. That's exactly how we look at sermons. And that's exactly the title of my sermon. After these messages, we'll be right back. Oh, yeah, came to Kingston, listened to the preaching of the word seminar. But after these messages, we'll be right back. Go home, drive home, go to your house, back to your university, back to your dorm, back to your family. More of the same. Business as usual. So basically, we are commercial Christians. Because after these messages, praise the Lord. We're exalted. Oh, man, that was such a blessing. Oh, I was inspired. Oh, I gave my heart to Christ. Oh, I came to the altar. But we'll be right back. And so, the answer to our problem is not just to invite Jesus to come in and kick all the unclean spirits out of our souls. It is not just about asking Jesus to do for us what we do not have the power to do for ourselves. It is about daily asking Jesus to do for us what we don't have the power to do for ourselves. Because I can tell you right now, the peace you felt when you surrendered, the joy that came into your heart when you gave all to Christ. Listen, if you want the joy to abide, it is, the answer is not get rid of the problem. The answer is keep Jesus. Because as long as Jesus is ruling your soul and my soul, your goods will be kept in peace. No matter the storms, no matter the trials, no matter the difficulties, no matter the failures. That's why that song says, when the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm." Why? Because you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. We leave this conference. It's not about, Lord, justify me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for delivering me from this. Thank you for bringing me out of my mess. And now that Jesus starts cleaning up your heart, cleaning up your life, cleaning up your soul, turning you back into the palace that we were meant to be, and now that everything's clean and in order, the question is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus then?
And I pray that what you will do is you will say, crown him as king. That's what I'm going to do. Yes, he saved you this weekend. Yes, he delivered you this weekend. Sure. Thank you. Yes, he saved you. Yes, he delivered you this weekend. But now, tomorrow morning, what do you do on Monday? What do you do on Tuesday? What do you do on Wednesday? You leave this conference, you go home, you go to your bed, you go to your prayer closet, and you say, crown him. Lord of my life. You go to your prayer closet and you say, Jesus, I want you to stay. You do what the disciples did on the road to Emmaus. Once they realized, abide with us. That's where that song comes from. To say, Lord, abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me, abide. When other helpers <laughs> fail and comforts flee, <laughs> I triumph still if you abide with me. How can we lock up our souls? It's not just coming to Christ and asking for deliverance. It is saying to Jesus, I want you to stay. I'm here, I want to crown you. You've delivered this palace. You cleaned it up. You swept it. You put it in order. You garnished it. Who better to be king? I couldn't defend my own soul. I couldn't keep him out. I couldn't deliver myself. Therefore, I'm relinquishing the crown over to you. Who can defend us? Not only defend us, but keep us. And so Paul will use the words, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Jesus? By faith. So walk. The word walk means live. So how do you stay in Jesus? One thing to get right with God is another thing to stay right with God. After these messages... We'll be right back. Maybe there's someone here that agrees with me. Agrees with me that I'm not trying to be a commercial Christian. I'm not trying to be a Christian where it's like, yeah, go to the messages, go to the conference, do my devotions, but after these messages, I'll be right back. But I want to be a Christian that when I have heard these messages, when my heart has been touched, when I have surrendered to Christ, I'm going to ask him to stay. And I'm not going to ask him to stay as a guest. I'm going to ask him to stay as the king. And I'm going to crown him with many crowns. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Two invitations this morning. Someone says, you know what, Lord? I've been a commercial Christian. I don't know how many youth conferences you've been to. I don't know how many revival weekends you have attended. I don't know how many small groups or Bible studies you've been inspired by and been touched. And you find your life going flim flam back and forth. But today, Christ is saying, look, it's time for you to stop being a commercial Christian. After these messages, I'll be right back to the same old stuff. If you want to say, Lord, you have delivered me, you have saved me, you are stronger than he. <laughs> Today, I'm coming to bring you a crown. I'm asking you to abide. You're coming to Christ and saying, Lord, look at what you've done for me, in me, around me. I want you to stay. If that's your prayer, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Say, Lord, I'm asking you to stay. My second invitation 
So that person that says, there is something that has come back into my life. Jesus delivered me. I was free. But then this unclean spirit came back into my life. And the reality is I was worse than from the beginning. And so today, this is your opportunity to come once again to the stronger than he. And to say, Lord, I'm in a worse situation than I was before. And so today, I need two things from you, Jesus. I need you to not only come in right now, and I need you to break the bonds that Satan has brought into my life, but I also need you to stay and to clean up this mess that my heart is. I need you to clean up my mind. I need you to clean up my spirit. Because there was something I had victory over, but it's creeping back into my life. And so I need to come back. Because I realized I didn't ask you to stay. If that's your prayer, I want you to meet me at this altar. There's something that has come back into your life that Jesus had delivered you from. You say, look. I didn't ask you to stay, and that's why this thing has come back into my life. And so I'm asking that you come, break the bonds of the strong men, take away the armor in which he trusts, divide those spoils. I need you to clean up my heart, clean up my spirit, clean up my mind, because I've allowed these things to come back. The demon has returned, and I thought I could be neutral. I thought I didn't have to choose the devil or Christ to rule my life. I could rule my life. That I could depend upon myself, forgetting that there's a stronger than me. So here I am, praying that you would sweep my soul, that you would put my heart in order. And Father, that you would free me again, but this time, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. I want you to kneel with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to learn this morning that justification by faith is laying into the dust the glory of man. And Jesus, doing for us that which it is not in our power to do for ourselves. We are thankful this morning, Lord, that we can be reminded again that, yes, we are strong, but there is a stronger than he. Lord, that the devil is walking about as a roaring lion. And, Father, there is no power in us to resist him. But, Father, even though we may be in bondage and we may have fallen, we're so grateful today that there's a stronger than he. Father, that there is a warrior out there that is stronger than him who is not coming to oppress us but to deliver us. That, Lord, he is a warrior that fights for the weak and defends the poor. He looks upon the downtrodden and those who are broken and of a contrite heart. He looks at those whose shoulders and bodies and frame are crushing beneath the load of an unbearable amount of sins and guilt and shame. And when he comes, he overcomes the strong men in our lives. And so, Lord, we have stood to say we don't want to be commercial Christians anymore. We don't want a situation where it's after these messages. We're just going to be right back to what we were doing. All we're praying and asking, Father, is that you would lead us. Lead us forward because we want you to stay. We want you to abide. We want to make a daily experience of trusting in Jesus. To find that it is sweet to trust in him. And Father, many of us have come to this altar because there are things in our lives that we were free from, but they're coming back. And as they're coming back into our lives, it is not because Christ is not strong. It is not because Christ is not powerful but it's because we didn't ask him to stay. So now, Father, we pray that now it has come back with seven other spirits more wicked than itself. We pray that you would banish all of them. We pray that you would take control of this palace, this soul palace. And Lord, we need you to sweep our souls 
I'm going to need you to clean up our spirits. And Father, when it's all said and done, you've restored us to that peace that you've promised. We come now to bring you the crown. And we need you to be the Lord of our lives. We want you to be our king. We want you to be our defender. We want you to be our strong men. We want you to be our palace and our citadel. We love you and we thank you that Jesus is not only able but willing. And so, Lord, we can rise from our knees just now with the peace of God, knowing with assurance that Christ will know no other power in our soul save his own. That our greatest fear is not that you would fail, but that we would fail to trust you. That we would trust to ourselves and that we would cast you out as Lord. Thank you, Father, for such love. Thank you for such blessing. And thank you, Father, for teaching us where we have gone wrong. Now help us to be faithful. Until the very end is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.